Great to be together. Um, Labor Day weekend is kind of an emotional weekend, right? I mean, it's, uh, man, it's the end of summer, and either you're celebrating all of the good things that have happened throughout the summer, all the wonderful activities you got to participate in, or maybe you're dealing with some regrets of things that you wanted to do and you didn't quite have that experience. Um, you're obviously thinking about what's to come, right? It's kind of the, the last calm before the storm. Or maybe you're experiencing a little bit of all those things, right? Yeah? Uh, maybe, right? There's all kinds of like, put it this way. It's hard to be present in Labor Day weekend. It really is. I mean, because like, you're, like, you're either in all of that kind of, eh, it was a great summer, you know, and you're trying to like, squeeze every last ounce of that great summer this weekend, or you're like, oh, I'm sad, you know, I missed the things that I didn't get to be a part of, or I wish I could do that over, or you're like, oh my goodness, what's to come? I don't know if I can handle it. Or you're like, yes, I love what's to come because the kids are going back to school and I've got some time. Um, and you just got all these emotions going on, and it's hard to be present in Labor Day weekend. But uh, here we are together. You're a great-looking bunch this morning. You really are. Thank you. I appreciate that. Actually, as we were singing one of the songs, I, I loved one of the lines. It was something we, we were made to thrive, right? Or something like that. We were made to thrive. And uh, I'm like, that's a, that's a great line, you know? Like, we're just not made to survive. Like, we're actually made to thrive. I'm, Christians of all people, we should be people that when, when people look at us, when they see our lives, they're like, there is something different about those people. I mean, they are really thriving. They are fully alive. I mean, they are displaying humanity at its best. Um, so, with that said, we're going to make the most of this morning, right? Let's try to be fully present together, because we've got some great stuff that we're going to be talking about, um, and hopefully it'll be something that you can use moving into the fall, and God's going to use it to really bring about some great transformation, not only in your life, but in our life as a community. And um, we're going to be able to know Christ more and make him known, right? Which is the, the whole mission of the plant church, which is great. I apologize up front. I put this disclaimer in. It's possible that you could hear some odd sounds coming from me this morning. Uh, over the last few weeks, uh, I had an abscess forming in my back molar filled with infection, Managed to go into my jawbone, into my sinuses and everything else. And so I had part one of a root canal yesterday, but everything's good. Everything's good, but I'm just kind of throwing it out there. You never know kind of what could happen in the midst of all of this. So if I start to sound a little odd, if I start coughing up stuff, it's all good. Just let me work through it. Everything's just fine. Um, so anyways, that's right. You may want to back up a little bit, right? No doubt. Uh, so summertime, we're coming to the end. And, you know, one of the things about summertime is all of the good, fresh fruit that's available during summer. Don't you love it? The blueberries, they're delicious. The strawberries, all of the fruit. I don't know about you, I've kind of noticed in the last couple of weeks, it's not quite as good as it was back, you know, a month ago. You can kind of tell a little bit of a, little bit of a difference, right? The fruit's having to ship longer distances because it's not being grown local and the weather's starting to change. Um, so summer's coming to an end, but Speaking of fruits, we have been kind of looking at the fruits of the Spirit, the things that God wants to develop in us, right? One fruit, many layers to this fruit. As followers of Christ, we say yes to Jesus. We say yes to what he has done for us through his death, through his resurrection. And the Spirit of God takes up residence in us and begins to birth things in us that we can't conjure up on our own. We can't develop these things, but instead the Holy Spirit begins to develop the fruit of the Spirit in us. 
And this fruit has many different layers to it. And one of the beautiful things, one of the beautiful opportunities before us is as we live our lives knowing Christ and making him known, we have the opportunity to share this fruit with others who are around us. Uh, And so Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we have been going through this Um, these layers of fruit throughout the summer, kind of taking them one by one and saying, God, we want to open ourselves up to allow you to further develop these things in our lives. We can't do this on our own, but if we stay open to what you want to do, you can make this happen. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The list continues, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So this is what God's Spirit wants to produce in us. These qualities, these layers of this fruit. Now a little background to this letter in Galatians. This was actually probably the earliest letter that was written to the Christian church. Jesus is now off of the scene. All right, Jesus has ascended into heaven but he has given the Holy Spirit to his disciples, now these apostles who are leading the early church. And in this region of Galatia, there's some fighting that begins to develop in the church. And this fighting is all about this. You have to do certain things in your own power to truly show that you are a follower of God. And so in particular, the Old Testament law had said that someone should be circumcised should they want to be a part of what God is doing. And so this argument develops. Do you need to be circumcised? Or now that through Christ, the door is opened up for Gentiles, non-Jews, to participate in this thing that God is now doing in Christ, is circumcision necessary? And so the whole battle that's going on here, the whole gist of this letter, Paul is, the Apostle Paul is letting these people know, look, in Christ, God is doing a new thing. So it's not about what you do in your own power, It's not about what you do in your own works to prove that you are a follower of God, to prove that you are a follower of this Jesus, but instead it's what you open yourself up to to allow Jesus, to allow the Spirit of God in you to develop these things. Because against these things, there is no law. This is what God is now doing. And so in a sense, the Apostle Paul is saying, you don't don't generate, you participate. You got that? You don't generate, you participate. And by participating, God now generates things in us, right? I mean, that's the beautiful freedom of being a follower of Jesus. It's not like we're following this detailed roadmap and we have to make it happen, right? Like we're not following a roadmap, we're following a person. We're following the person of Jesus. And now Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit residing inside of us. And so as we participate with the Holy Spirit, amazing things begin to happen. So one of these things that begins to happen as we participate with what the Spirit wants to do in us is self-control. We're going to have a little fun with this. Self-control. What in the world does this word mean? All right? Because you say, wait a minute, Kurt. It's not about generating. It's about participating. It's not about what you do. It's about what God wants to do in you. But yet the very word self Control feels very self-focused, you know? So that's kind of the paradox of what we're dealing with here. So let's try to, let's try to bring a little understanding to this. The word itself, self-control, all right? If we were reading this in the language that Paul communicated to us, 
the word that he would have used is the word ingratia. Okay? Ingratia. Now the word kratos is a Greek word meaning strength. And so ingrat, from kratos, ingratia, self-control, means the strength to hold oneself in. The strength to hold oneself in. Now, obviously in the English language, we have a lot of different translations from the Greek language from now which we read our Bibles, right? And so the King James Version actually doesn't use the word self-control. It uses the word temperance. Now that's kind of an old word that we don't use anymore, right? Temperance. But temperance is very close to continence. Now, if you, like me, have been in a drugstore recently, if you walk through certain aisles, you see a sign, and one of the signs for the options that are in that aisle is the word incontinence. All right? I'm sorry, but we're just going to lay this out here, all right? Incontinence simply means that you can no longer control your bladder. You can no longer hold yourself in, right? There's issues. There's issues. And it's a real issue that people deal with, right? It's an unfortunate issue, but incontinence. You no longer have the strength to hold yourself in. And so you have to take protective measures. Otherwise, you could leave a lot of messes everywhere, right? Because there's no longer the strength to hold yourself in. Now let's just think about this for a minute. We could probably look around at our lives over the last few weeks. We could probably look around our family. We could probably look around in other situations. And if we were really honest with ourselves, we would say, um, yep, there's some incontinence that's been present in my life, right? I mean, I've made a lot of messes, right? I mean, I've said things where I'm like, oh, I wish I could just take that back. I've laid into somebody where I'm like, you know, I, just, I wish I would have just taken that back. I wish I wouldn't have used that tone. Uh, you know what, it would have been really wise of me just to pull back and rather than just like laying it out there or imposing myself on this person or on this situation, I could have just stepped back and said, God, maybe there's something else that you want to do here, right? I mean, we can look throughout years and years of church history and we can see a lot of incontinence even within the church that's happened all around us, right? A lot of fighting, a lot of things that in the name of Jesus, you're like, really? That, that mess was done in the name of Jesus? You know, and even as Omar read for us at the beginning of our time together, which I thought was awesome from 1 Peter, 1 Peter uses that same word, ingratia, the ability, the strength to hold oneself in. In 1 Peter, in his letter to the exiles who were scattered all throughout the land, and he says, look, practice self-control. In fact, be holy be holy, be perfect, because God is perfect. A lot of times, I think as Christians, we're like, hey, it's all right, you know what? No problem, man. If I leave a little mess here, if I leave a little mess here, if I leave a little mess here, it's all right, I've got grace, I've got forgiveness, which is true, which is an awesome thing that we celebrate. But we don't want to have just kind of that casual attitude where it's like, hey, no big deal. You know what? Being a Christian thing, I'll just I'll show up at church once a week. You know, I'll have my little group of Christian friends. And you know what? I'm just going to blow it every now and then. It's okay, you know, it's okay. Um, No, Peter is saying, look, be holy because God is holy. Like, don't, don't allow incontinence just to run rampant in your lives. Allow God to develop in you the strength to hold yourself in, to watch your tone, to use wisdom when you approach a situation, when you speak into a situation, when you come alongside someone. 
who maybe just needs a friend, maybe when you come alongside the idiot, right? They're all there. We're going to run into them this week, right? How do you respond to that person? You know, idiot. Right? I mean, it's, it's, we have those kind of, we have those situations. Um, check this out. I thought this was a great story that really proves a point. So did you all hear about it? There was a flight from Newark to Denver earlier this week. And I'm like, no surprise this flight took off from Newark. I can totally see a Jersey person doing this. So this flight takes off from Newark. It's going to Denver. And this person, obviously he's flying in coach. There's not a whole lot of space. And he gets perturbed at like, you know, people in front of him who recline their seat back. So I didn't even know they made these, but they have these little metal clamps called the knee defender, all right? So this is a United Airlines flight. So this guy decides that he's going to get these knee defenders. And what you do is you simply take the tray table in front of you, you put it down, and then kind of the metal poles that go down to the seat in front of you, you clamp these on there. So if the person in front of you decides that they want to recline their seat back, uh-oh, they can't recline their seat back, all right? Great way to kind of control your surroundings, right? It's like, hey, my comfort is going to cost you your comfort greatly, right? I mean, that's how we live our lives a lot of the time, right? My comfort is going to cost you your comfort greatly. So this guy puts the knee defender on. Well, of course, what happens mid-flight, the person in front of him wants to recline their seat back. Can't recline their seat back. So she decides she's going to stand up. The two of them start getting into it. She eventually takes some liquid. I don't know what the liquid was. Maybe it was hot coffee, water. Douses him with it. A fight breaks out, and the plane is actually forced to land in Chicago. Now, if you're like me and you're on that flight, all right, because you're thinking to yourself, these people are crazy, right? Idiots, right? Idiots. But I mean, this stuff happens all around us. Now, if you're like me, now you're perturbed, okay? Because if I played for a flight to go straight from Newark to Denver, I want to get to Denver. And so if I have to land in Chicago and these two are getting off the plane, there's a chances are that I'm taking some hot water, some water, some hot coffee and tossing it on them as they walk out, right? And so you see these things happening all around us. Now, I know that's, that's an extreme situation, that's an extreme situation, but, but we are quick to get irritated, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul, in so much of his writing to the early church, he would contrast the work of the Spirit, the things that God's Spirit wants to accomplish in us, and then the works of the flesh. The flesh is simply that which is opposed to God, that which really places our own comfort first, above everything else. And so maybe not in extreme situations like on this United Airlines flight, but there are many, many times in our life when the flesh wants to react against what the Spirit wants to accomplish in our lives, and the flesh is telling us over and over again, your comfort is what matters most. And so it's okay if your comfort costs other people's comfort. And so there's this constant battle that's going on. Now, we may not put the knee defenders on the seats in front of us, but here's what happens. We get irritated with people around us. We get irritated with situations. And when we get irritated, we start to look out for number one. We start to impose our will on a situation. We want to control the situation back to a way that hopefully makes us feel comfortable and in control. And so as a result, we label people, we oppose people, we push people around, we hold people in contempt, we choose sides, we do all of these things, and we shut down, we shut down any contemplative attempt on our part to actually stop and pause and say, Spirit, maybe there's something in this situation 
that you are actually longing to develop in me. Spirit, maybe there's something that you want to show me that is actually going to make me know Christ more. Oh, hello, plant family. Know Christ more? That's what we say every week when we're together. To know Christ and make him known. Maybe I'm going to better understand through this situation in which I'm experiencing irritation, through which I'm experiencing a desire to impose and direct and control and kind of push people around and get them to do what I want to do, maybe I'm actually going to understand more and more of what it means to enter into Christ's suffering. Maybe I'm going to know more and more of what it means to identify with Christ in his death so that I can experience his resurrection. Maybe I'm going to understand more and more of what it means to just learn how to live at peace with my brother or sister who irritate me in just the right ways. Maybe my spouse who might do those little things every now and then, God's going to show me something of what it means to actually, where those things just don't really bother me anymore because somehow the Spirit of God begins to do something in me where I'm going to be able to truly love this person. Maybe that coworker, maybe that neighbor that God wants me to know more so that somehow I can maybe see even how God is at work in them and make Christ known. I mean, think about it. When we allow ourselves to step back and say, Jesus, what do you, what do you want me to understand to know you more? And then how can I, how can I make you known more? All of a sudden now we're, we're, we're in a position where the irritation is kind of lessened. We're able to truly actually have compassion for people. You know that person who irritates us? That person who irritates us has a story. And maybe for the first time, we're actually able to listen to their story. And no longer do we see the irritation, but instead we actually see a story that is complex and layered. And maybe even in some ways, we begin to see some beautiful things in their story. And this person takes on a whole different meaning to us. Maybe we're truly to listen, able to listen for the first time. And by listening, we're actually able to just be with this person and say, by being with this person, I don't have to, I don't have to control this person. I don't have to coerce this person into shape. But just as I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life, when I stop coercing this person into shape, I can maybe begin to pray for this person and trust that the Holy Spirit will begin to work in this person's life. Right? Everything, everything changes. We no longer choose sides. We no longer divide the world into the good guys and the bad guys. And we're so quick to do this. I mean, one of the obvious examples of this, even for instance on a large scale, you look at something like even like, you know, what's going on between Israelis and Palestinians now. And it's very easy. It's very easy to choose sides and say one guy has it all right and one guy has it all wrong. But the reality is if we pull back, we step back and we say, there are a lot of layers and complexities to this situation. And there are followers of Christ who reside on both sides. And how can I just, how can I enter into this as a compassionate person, as a prayerful person, as someone who realizes that this is incredibly layered, incredibly complex? But not only, not only how do I do that in a situation like that, but how do I do that in my neighborhood? How do I do that with my coworkers? 
How do I do that with my own family members? Where all of a sudden we're able to begin to have the strength to hold ourselves in so that we can know Christ more and make him known. This requires, this requires a lot. A lot of contemplation. Contemplation is simply, it's, it's, it's no longer you acting on a situation, but it's you pulling back from a situation and allowing the Spirit to speak to you. Look at this proverb right here. I think this is a great proverb that ties into this. Proverbs 16.32. Solomon, the wise teacher, right? King of Israel. Better to be patient, he says, than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Better to have self-control than just throw your thoughts out there and try to shape an environment. Better to have self-control than to lash out at that person that you want to lash out at. Better to have self-control than choose a side. And by choosing a side, we say, yes, may this side win and may this side lose. But no, instead to pull back and say, God, again, what do you want to teach me about what it means to know Christ more and make him known? And how would Jesus respond to this situation? How would Jesus step into this situation? I think one of the beautiful things is when we look at Jesus, we see this in Jesus' life, right? I mean, think about it. Jesus, God in the flesh, the opportunity to come and make the world right on the scene. Better to be patient than powerful. Look at the way Jesus patiently lived his life among others. The way Jesus patiently lived his life blessing those around him. The way Jesus lived his life with the ability to hold himself in rather than to conquer a city. I mean, the disciples were like, yeah, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's take care of this baby, right? Let's take care of Rome. Let's conquer. Let's set the kingdom up. But Jesus, no, better to exercise self-control than to conquer a city. I was, um, we were kind of talking as a, as a missional community with some of the people who are in our missional community um, via email uh, earlier this week. And somebody in our missional community, he's, um, he's a lawyer. He actually teaches law at Seton Hall University. And he said, hey guys, he says, I was actually preparing for my introdu- introduction to lawyering class. And I came across this paragraph, he said. He says, As I came across this paragraph, I couldn't help but see the correlation, perhaps, of what it means for us as followers of Jesus, even in our own lives, right? Here's the quote that he came across. And uh, it was this, said, to a lay person... It seems that the distinguishing mark of a professional is knowledge other people do not have. Almost like a sorcerer's secret book of magic formulas. Certainly, professionals do have specialized knowledge. But in professional work, there are very few, if any, cookbook answers. Keep going. Instead, what really distinguishes a professional is a way of thinking that enables the professional to solve problems even when a situation is wrapped in a fog of uncertainty, uniqueness, and conflict. Let's just leave that up on the screen just for a second. So he sends us and he's like, now, I'm getting ready to prepare to teach these incoming freshmen who are striving to be lawyers this introduction to lawyering, kind of talking about professionalism. And he says, I couldn't help but think about maybe how this applies also for us as followers of Jesus who are actually called to be Christ-like. 
who, yes, are forgiven, but actually called to be Christ-like, who are actually called to be holy just as God is holy. Not a people who are just spreading their incontinence all over the place because they have no ability to hold themselves in. And it's okay because we'll go to church on Sunday and all is forgiven. So he says, I can't help but think how oftentimes in our lives we come across situations and no, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is more than a way of thinking. It's actually a way of living, he says. It's a way of living that enables the follower of Christ to solve problems even when a situation is wrapped in a fog of uncertainty, uniqueness, and conflict. Now, as a parent, I deal with this often. You walk into a situation, the joint's blowing up, right? Kids are at each other, you walk in, and like, there's a fog, there's conflict going on. You're like, I don't know who's right here, I don't know who's wrong. And you step into the situation, and it's very easy just to blow up, right? I've been there many times. You blow up in the situation, because ultimately what you're saying to your kids in that situation is, look, the measure that I use for discipline really comes from how comfortable or uncomfortable you make me feel. And because you're making me feel uncomfortable right now, I'm going to blow up in this situation. I'm going to send you to your room. You, I'm turning you over my knee. And you, I don't want to see you for the next week. And we do that, right? I mean, that happens in our lives. But not only do that with our kids. We do that, right, as siblings sometimes with each other. But the reality is a lot of times you walk into these situations, whether it's in the family, at work, in relationships, you're like, there are so many layers going on in the midst of the situations around us. What does it actually mean? What does it actually mean to hold ourselves in and say, Jesus, maybe there's something your spirit wants to teach me here. Your spirit is able to hold whatever reaction that I want to just let out there because there's something that you want to make known about yourself and there's some way that you want me to make you known. I mean, hey, all of us in our jobs, whatever it is, whether we're at home, whether we're a student, whether we're an architect, a teacher, a lawyer, working on dialysis machines, we all take seriously a level of professionalism that we want to bring to our work, right? But what if we lived with that same desire as followers of Christ where we say, I actually want to bring a level of professionalism to my life as a follower of Christ. That people would actually look at my life and they would say, wow, I don't see any incontinence in that person. In fact, if anything, I see this amazing ability that this person has that they can't generate on their own. We know this. Of course, the secret book of knowledge that we have is that, guess what? The Spirit is doing this in us where we're able to, we're able to have the strength to hold ourselves in. Say, Jesus, what do you want to teach me? How do you want me to make you known in this situation? And I have to, if, if I have to be patient for a month, if I have to be patient for a year, if I have to be patient for five years, to actually listen for what you're teaching me rather than just speaking into a situation and trying to control it and coerce it because really my comfort is paramount, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take that time. These are the things that God wants to do in our lives as followers of Jesus. Self-control. The strength to hold oneself in so that we can know Christ more. So that we can make Christ known in the midst of all of the uncertainty, the uniqueness, the conflict, and the fog that that brings going on all around us. Um, it was awesome last Sunday, right? Being at the lake together, the baptisms that took place. What a celebration. What a celebration to see people who are saying, you know what? My life 
is about identifying with Jesus, identifying with him in his death, identifying with him in his resurrection, that now his life can live through me. And so now here these people are, just like many of us in the room who have experienced that baptism, and now we're moving forward, and we don't know how many days that we have to live here on this earth before perhaps Christ calls us home, should that be before he comes back. But think about this. This is a quote right here that I want us to think on. Next one. There we go. If we make salvation about going to heaven, there is an awkward and embarrassing gap between our baptism and our funeral. Let's just dwell on that for a moment. If we make salvation about going to heaven, there's an awkward and embarrassing gap between our baptism and our funeral. Because there are a million and one things that the Holy Spirit of God wants to develop in us as followers of Christ. Today. Today. Right? One of those things being the layer of this fruit, self-control. The strength to hold oneself in in order to know Christ more, in order to make him known. And unfortunately, a lot of us, we can. We can look at our life and say, yeah, I can look at my life. E- even, even as a vocational minister, ooh, there are a lot of situations in my life as a vocational minister where I look back through the years and I'm like, I should have had an adult diaper on in that situation because I made a big mess. <laughs> Seriously, I made a big mess. And it's awkward and it's embarrassing. And I can humbly admit that. And I'm okay with that. Because as I've opened myself up to the fruit that God wants to develop in my life, there's a wonderful opportunity to learn new things, to know Christ more, to make him known. Imagine if we, the plant family, opened ourselves up to all of these complex layers of fruit that God wants to develop in our life through his spirit who lives in us. Imagine the picture that we're going to show the world, not only now, but in three years to come, five years to come, ten years to come, as we multiply ourselves over and over. I'm, my family and I are so giddy right now because you guys are helping multiply the work of the plant, and we get to be a part of that in Hawthorne. I mean, how cool will it be if five, ten, fifteen years from now, we've multiplied ourselves all over the place, and people are looking and saying, there is just something incredibly captivating about these people. Right? They have an amazing ability, the strength to hold themselves in and actually bring a wisdom and a professionalism. And we just say, we're just bringing Jesus. We're just bringing Jesus into a situation. That's all. We're not bringing the ways of the world. We're not bringing in power and coercion and violence and name-calling and labeling and this and that. We're, just, we're bringing Jesus. We're learning to love people and we're learning to be with people. And that doesn't make us relativistic. It just makes us able to just step in and say, I love you. And I love you. And let me tell you, Jesus is where life is at. Jesus is where forgiveness is at. Jesus is where it's at if you want to experience not just surviving, but truly thriving, just like the song that we sang. How much time do we have? I don't, what, what time is it? I don't the clock. Back, I guess I have a, it's about that time. It's about that time. Um, seeing if I had time to continue on or not. Let me say this as we close. Um, we live in a fight or flight world. Okay? I've been talking a lot about fighting, right? Kind of like 
stepping into a situation and just, you know, we, no strength to hold ourselves in and we just, we, that's it. We say it, we do it, whatever it is. Um, another piece of this is some of us, we're not necessarily the fight type, but we're the flight type. So a situation gets tough and what do we do? See, uh, we check out. And we, we leave reality. We leave reality and say, this, this reality is too hard. I can't do it. And we create these kind of alternate forms of universe that we get to enter into. Um, and those alternate forms of the universe, these alternate realities, they lead us into all kinds of addictions because we look for escape in some type of substance. We look for escape in some type of sexual practice. We look for escape in um, maybe what we find in the refrigerator. We look for escape in what the shopping mall offers us. And so we either have this tendency of a fight or flight, and chances are in our lives we, we have both. Like really when it boils down to us, when it boils down to it, in us, God's spirit needs to develop more self-control. Because we either end up checking out and just kind of escaping into these alternate forms of reality where we can find pleasure and meaning, but it's just it's short-lived. And we end up taking advantage of other people because in order to keep all of our consumption going on, my comfort is paramount and there's going to be other people out there working in sweatshops, not getting paid what they should be getting paid to farm our food. And well, really what we're saying loud and clear, even though we don't know them, but yet we're still very much connected to them, is guess what? My comfort is more important than your comfort. And my comfort is greatly going to, it's going to cost you. In sexual addictions that work all around us, really what we say is my, my comfort ultimately is going to cost you. All of these things. Um, and so fight or flight. Jesus, I think about Jesus. Think about Jesus in the midst of, of the garden, the garden of Gethsemane the night that before he was betrayed. In just a minute, Rob's going to come up and lead us in communion. And you look at the way that Jesus was faithful in allowing God's spirit to produce self-control in him. Right? Peter wanted to fight, cut off the ear. Jesus says, nope, it's not the time for that. That's not a part of my kingdom. No fighting here. Jesus admits an honest desire, Father, if it's your will, please, like, you know, if this cup could pass for me, if, if I don't have to drink from this cup, but you know what, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm willing to stick in this. I'm not going to just escape into some alternate reality, but I'll stick with this. Jesus is the faithful one who accomplished what Israel could not accomplish on their own. And now we, as non-Jews, participating in what God started through the nation of Israel, Jesus also becomes the faithful one, our brother, our brother who says, I will accomplish what you can't accomplish. And as a result, you are forgiven. As a result, you are blessed. But as a result, I am calling you into following me, to placing yourself in the place where I, your brother in humanity, placed myself, that you would allow God's spirit to birth in you these things. So there's some great opportunities before us this week. They really are. Look at your own family, right? I don't care. Whether you're 11, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, look at me. There are some great opportunities in your home this week, in your school, to allow the Spirit of God 
to birth in you an ability to hold yourself in, that you don't have to lash out at your brother or sister, that you don't have to prove you're right and they're wrong. God wants to produce that in you. He does. Parents, there's the opportunity that you don't have to send the message to your kids that really the measure of my discipline depends on how comfortable or uncomfortable you're making me. But we actually have the ability to step in and say, time out. Hold ourselves in and say, I realize there's a lot of layers at work here. And so I just want to calmly listen to the, I want to listen to your story and I want to listen to your story. And if it still doesn't make sense, guess what? Both go to your room and just hang out for a little bit. I love you both. I'll call you down for dinner. Um, with our neighbors, say, you know what? That person who, who I don't know, like, I can't have them over, man. They, they make me feel funny. It's just awkward. It's weird. It could be uncomfortable. Um, no. Like, God's going to produce a new ability to hold yourself in that, that your awkwardness or uncomfortability doesn't win over, but instead you're going to find yourself being able to, to relate with people and listen to them, engage with them, have compassion with them, and just know Christ and make him known more and more. So let me pray for us, and Rob's going to come up and, and lead us into communion, okay?